welcome to MuggleCast episode 398. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. We are going to have some fun today by making some extremely early Fantastic Beasts 3 predictions. Because we know absolutely nothing about the movie, so we thought it'd be fun, knowing so little, to predict what's actually going to happen in movie number three. And uh, we also have some news to discuss today and some voicemails as well. But first, we actually have an exciting announcement. So, um, for the past few months, we've been looking for a fourth host. Specifically, a girl. Because uh, last time I checked, the three of us, we're all guys. And, you know, we have a great rapport and things are good. But I personally, guys, I don't know about you guys, but it hasn't been sitting right with me that we don't have a lady on the show. We used to have women on this show. Remember those days? Gosh, such a long time ago. <laughs> such a long time I ago. I wish more girls in the world were interested in Harry Potter. I just, I don't get it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. There are plenty of girls who are interested in Harry Potter, so why don't we have one on the show? Half of our audience is female. So, like I said, over the past few months, we've been kicking around a few panelist ideas. And, you know, we've been looking for somebody who we're friends with, who knows Harry Potter, who knows the show. And then fast forward a couple months ago, one of our lady friends is visiting Chicago, and in passing... Eric and I mentioned to her that we're seeking a fourth host. It's uh, J.K. Rowling, isn't seeking it? a fourth host. Yeah, we were hanging out with J.K. Rowling in Chicago. <laughs> Got her drunk, and we said, "Come on the show." <laughs> no, um, but so this person is a friend of the show, and in fact, she used to be on the show. And when we told her about the gig, she surprised us by saying that she'd be interested in joining. Should we drum roll? So we had Andrew. Hmm? Do we hmm? drum roll to the announcement? Yeah, sure. Go, go for it. So we had her on a few weeks ago to test things out, and we're now so excited to announce that Laura is returning to the show full time, and she's here today. Hi, Laura. Hello. Welcome back. I am very excited to learn that I am myself slash JK Rowling. <laughs> that, that's a wonderful way to start my morning, so thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Laura, when we told you we were s- searching for a fourth host, I didn't expect you to be interested. Why were you interested in coming back to the show? Of course, we were thrilled that you were. Yeah. Well, I have to ask you why you would think that I wouldn't be interested. But <laughs> but I, I think for starters, um, there was a period in my life where it was really hard to accommodate multiple podcasting gigs that period has since passed. And also this feels like sort of coming full circle. I was about 15 years old when I first joined MuggleCast and I'm getting ready to turn 30 in a few days. Oh, I thought you were going to say 25. <laughs> yeah, that would have made more sense, but... but No, well, the, we're, we, we're not that young. <laughs> I guess the reason I didn't expect you to be interested to come back is because just simply you had left the show and I, I i don't think there's ever been another occasion where somebody left the show and wanted to come back full time so um so yeah i was very pleasantly surprised and so here you are so um you're not going to be on next week's episode because we're recording on your birthday and that's correct you <laughs> rightly said i'm not recording what on my birthday. birthday present <laughs> <laughs> so you will start weekly with our 400th episode so that's appropriate the first one of 2019 Nice round number. Yeah. 
Well, <laughs> welcome back, Laura. Thank you. It feels really good to be back. Good. You know, I, I hope you've spotted the uh, the feedback. We did actually reveal this in our uh, patron, uh, well, on our on our Patreon exclusively first, and you get a lot of really good comments. A lot of well wishers. A lot of people saying the voice of reason is back. You know, really, really good stuff. So everybody's real happy. Right. Yeah, Andrew shared that with me, and I'm not gonna lie, it, like I did shed a tear. I was, was... I was slightly overwhelmed by all of the just wonderful uh, praise and feedback that people were providing. So I'm I'm just as excited as you guys are to be back. When I sent Laura screenshots of the feedback i said to her if you're ever feeling down about yourself just load up these screenshots you're gonna feel really good (laughs) i'm gonna leave and then come back because i want that feedback (laughs) i'm gonna hang it on my wall (laughs) and the show just got a whole lot smarter too that's for sure well you guys shouldn't sell yourself short no we're stupid we, we we should laura is very intelligent and that's one of the reasons i was so excited to hear that she wanted to come back um so laura you haven't been on since crimes of grindelwald came out what did you think of the movie so i thought that it had pros and cons um i did not like crimes of grindelwald as much as i enjoyed the first fantastic beasts um i think most of its issues were rooted in the fact that there was simply too much going on um There were a lot of characters, a lot of storylines, and it was a lot to accommodate in one screenplay. That said, I thought that there were uh, bright spots in the movie. I mean, the performances, of course, were great. Uh, I was very intrigued by Lita Lestrange. In fact, I would have loved to have seen more of her. Um, Mm. I have to say, Johnny Depp, dumpster fire of a human being, his performance was pretty damn good. And very compelling, you know. Um, I also really enjoyed how they sort of roped in uh, the World War II predictions. I thought that was really intriguing, especially given, you know, the time period in which we know this takes place and uh, sort of the global nature of this story. It, it very much explains why we're taking this sort of uh, trip around the planet during mm. the Fantastic Beasts narrative. Um, So I think that this movie is setting up the rest of the series for success. I think that even though it struggled at some points, there's probably a lot of really necessary information that we got in this movie um, that's going to make the rest of the story feel very complete. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. I think I said something along those lines on a recent episode. It, it, it's all it all feels like a lot and it's all feels overwhelming right now. But by the end of this, I think we're going to like this movie a lot more. It's going to feel very meaningful mm-hmm. once all is said and done. The the phrase that I usually use is too many plot lines with not enough context. I don't know if you agree with that. Yes, definitely. I thought uh, especially some of the decisions that were made by characters were not given enough time to develop over the course of the movie. So it made certain things like, for instance, Queenie's big decision feel kind of out of left field. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas I feel like if some additional context had been added, 
surrounding her her kind of conundrum about this struggle that she's having internally, it would have felt a bit more natural for her to make the choice that she did. But because there were so many characters and and so much screen time devoted to all of these character storylines, it was hard to fit all of that in one movie. Yeah. All right. Well, all well said. And we will continue talking about Crimes of Grindelwald in a moment. Um, we do have one little news item. A couple months ago, we spoke about this drama in San Francisco. Pun intended. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, ching. There was a battle over Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and dear Evan Hansen running in San Francisco. Well, now a judge has refused a request by one of the nation's largest theater owners to block San Francisco's production of the two shows. Um, so they will be going on. And there's another interesting tidbit in this New York Times piece. Apparently, the plan is for Cursed Child to run for three years starting next fall although the run could be extended so we needn't worry now the second u.s production of cursed child will be happening i bet it's going to stay a lot longer than three years it's probably going to do extremely well and it's just going to stay there for probably like 10 years yeah i think so when you think about how people are very willing to travel in order to see these kinds of shows because tickets in cities other than New York and London are going to be much cheaper. Right. Plus, I'd go to San Francisco. I love San Francisco. So you kind of kill two birds with one stone there. You actually saw Hamilton in Chicago because it was cheaper than the New York production, right? Yeah, and it was cheaper than the Atlanta production, too. Are we talking about substantially cheaper? Yeah. What? Yeah. That's news to me. I was still expecting to pay about $420.56. Uh, for San Francisco. No, that's just what you paid for Cursed Child. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it'll also be cheaper on the resale market as well. Mm -hmm. Because my brother, he's a huge Hamilton dork, and he compares New York and Chicago tickets all the time because he can get to New York easily from New Jersey, and he could plan a trip to see Hamilton in Chicago by also visiting me. And he's always sending me screenshots of how much cheaper it is in Chicago on StubHub. So... Yeah, I think the tickets will be more affordable. Man, I need to start talking to your brother so that we can dork out about Hamilton together. Oh, and Laura, we got to get you to Cursed Child, too, now that you're on the show yeah. full time. Yeah, I know. Hmm. Figure that out. <laughs> Figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> you Listeners, you can mail your tickets to our new P.O. box in right. Chicago, <laughs> and uh, we'll get Laura to Cursed Or uh, if anybody has an extra ticket and needs somebody to go with them, Laura will accompany you. MuggleCast or, will give you 10 bucks towards the ticket. Or I can just buy a ticket. Sure. Like like an adult. Yeah, that that's like, okay, I guess. <laughs> All right, so let's get into our main discussion now. Let's make some extremely early Fantastic Beast 3 predictions. And the reason we're doing this now is because J.K. Rowling says, as of just last week, she has finished the screenplay. I feel like she said that once before so maybe she went back and did some rewrites she said in a tweet oh i just finished the screenplay yesterday um and that was last week so so the fun of this will be making predictions based on basically no information at all no promo info no interviews it's just all based on what happened in um movie two yeah so andrew one question then is two years from now 
are we going to come back to this episode and see how well our predictions paid off? We should, because they're probably going to be really wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking, we, we just spent last episode, this is sort of an antidote uh, for people who were w- worried or upset, um, but we just spent last episode talking about all the things that Film 1 set up that Movie 2 didn't answer. So now we get to have a little bit of fun with what Movie 2 may or may not have set up. I think it's uh, kind of fun thinking about you know, what's going to happen in the next movie just with no real Mm -hmm. info. Um, There is one piece of solid info so far, and we'll start with that. J.K. Rowling has hinted that the movie is going to be set in Rio de Janeiro. Now, Eric, I think you want to point out that she also kind of, that there was a theory that the next one would be in Germany. And what was that theory again? So there's an old tweet from J.K. Rowling. We talk about this from time to time because it's very titillating. She posted it on the 13th of October, 2016. This is a full month before the very first Fantastic Beasts came out. Somebody named Callum Leslie at PCKL asked J.K. Rowling, please clarify how many movies, question mark, uh, Fantastic Beasts live. And J.K. Rowling's reply was first the number five with a period. Then she spelled out five. Then she spelled out sink, which is the French word for five, C-I-N-Q. Then funf, which is German, for five. Then cinco, which is, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Laura, Spanish-Portuguese. Yes, uh, that is for correct. Five. And then cinque, which I think is something else, Italian. So people took that to mean that she may be hinting at the location of each Fantastic Beast movie since the second one was in French and we went to France. I'm, I'm gonna I think we can now officially throw out this theory what because because she's strongly hinting in these more recent tweets that the third movie is set in Rio de Janeiro she updated her cover art with Rio de Janeiro a, fo- a photo from there yeah she said um in a response to somebody who said Rio de Janeiro is waiting for Newt's commander she said Rio de Janeiro had better brace itself <laughs> and it Another tweet, she said, let's just say I really ought to be able to spell Rio de Janeiro properly, given how many times I've written slash typed it in the last few months. Yeah. Strong hints. Mm -hmm. But the question is, why is the film based there? (laughs) There's no connection, right? Well, why was Grindelwald set in Paris? It just happened to be where he needed to go for whatever he was doing with Lestrange or where Credence was. I don't see any reason why there shouldn't be, you know, some kind of weird plot point hidden in Brazil. Um, or maybe it's a maybe it's a film that'll star, star only the good side of characters. And we'll get maybe Dumbledore needs to, I don't know, get more resistance fighters or a weapon from. <laughs> and they're all down there. Yeah. Why not? You know, given how closely tied this story is to actual history, particularly World War II history. I wonder if there's some kind of link going on between Austria, Germany, and uh, Brazil. And we might see both in this movie because historically, a lot of Nazis fled to South America post-World War II. Grindelwald can clearly see into the future and see what's going to happen in World War II. It's entirely possible that he can see that uh, countries in South America like Brazil, Argentina, and Chile became like safe havens for these Nazis trying to escape um, sort of punishment for their acts. So maybe he's going ahead and setting up some stuff there to make sure that they have a landing pad, like a backup 
in the event that things don't go well for them in Europe. And this is why you're here, Laura. <laughs> yeah. I was I was just going to say, you know, maybe the Amazon, there's a cool beast down there, but Laura just like took it to a whole yeah. other level. Well, I mean, there's probably some cool beasts. Yeah, I think it'll be this will be our first time seeing the wizarding world in the southern hemisphere, which I think will be super interesting. I do wonder, though, if bouncing around to these different cities with each movie is good for our concerns, which is that there's too much happening. Like every time we go to an entirely new place, I feel like J.K. Rowling has to introduce us to a bunch of new characters and other Wizarding World lore because these locations are just so different from one another. You know, I would compare it to James Bond. Those films do just fine at visiting three or four Mm. different countries, you know, each movie and with the same set of, you know, or, or similar set of, recurring characters and those movies seem to manage it fine that's true i think it's just it's just a matter of what the characters have to do you know i i think that's again where crimes of grindelwald kind of fell short um it's it's also worth mentioning that there is a wizarding school in brazil called castello bruxu yeah the magic castle yep Mm -hmm. yeah and it says the brazilian school for magic which takes students from all over south america may be found hidden deep within the rainforest. The fabulous castle appears to be a ruin to the few muggle eyes that have ever fallen upon it. A trick shared by Hogwarts. Opinion is divided on who got the idea from whom. It's an imposing square edifice of golden rock, often compared to a temple. Both building and grounds are protected by the Kepora, small and furry spirit beings who are extraordinarily mischievous and tricky and who emerge under cover of night to watch over the students and the creatures who live in the forest. Hmm. Where did you? Where is that information from? Pottermore. Pottermore. Okay. All right. Next question: What length of time will have passed between movie two and three? This is kind of a dr- broad number question. I'm gonna say six months. Oh God. The, the, I, I okay. <laughs> That's an idea. But keep in mind the reason I wrote this question in the doc is these films are supposedly going to end, and I think J.K. Rowling has said as much in 1945. Uh, with Dumbledore's defeat of Grindelwald, it's still 1928. That's and true. So over over the next three films, we're gonna have to jump significantly. I think it's safe to say movie five will be set in 45. I find it weird if these films are themselves are gonna span a couple of years, but I guess the Harry Potter films kind of did that. They all spanned the course of a year technically, just not well. Okay, I take back my answer. What if it's a four or five year jump but like that seems like a ton of time to have passed after such crucial information at the end of movie number two exactly what the hell is poor aurelius dumbledore doing all those i mean over five years of time he could grindelwald can fully convert him to his side Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah after 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 it'd be sort of like stockholm syndrome you know this whole time getting him indoctrinated to his, not to mention Queenie, not to mention me, even if Queenie was a double agent or trying to be in the second film, you have no barometer for what things are going to be like after a substantial time jump. So my initial response was, yeah, I'd love to see just another six-month gap. But then it would be a situation where the fourth and fifth movie are seven or eight years apart from one another and all their predecessors. And that just doesn't work. So the math is concerning. Well... Given also that movie three is going to be the centerpiece of this series, 
I wonder, are we going to spend a good amount of time in the past as opposed to the present? Because I think we ultimately need to see what happened between Dumbledore and Grindelwald when they were younger. We were told that we were going to get a better idea of what Newt and Lita's relationship was like, why he got expelled from Hogwarts. Mm. So I think three, we're going to be at least a third of the time looking back as opposed to being in the present. I agree with that. Hmm. So that's that's even more flashbacks than in the second one. Well, how many flashbacks were there? Yeah, I don't think there are too many. It's just at the end. Well, no, that's not true. Little Newton Lita. Well, there, there's the extended backstory of uh, Lita and, and her talking through it, which I think is a low point in the film. It's just I think at, at one point... You know, there's no reason for, from the from the outset that J.K. Rowling should need to be doing so much recap. Uh, she could find interesting ways to weave this into the existing story. She's a talented enough writer. You know, if we spend all this time in flashbacks with these young actors and actresses playing the younger versions of their characters, it probably takes away from whatever they could currently be doing in Brazil or around the world. Like, I, I'd rather see the jet setting, you know, sort of thing that that's that this series setting could really be good for what was that boat setting <laughs> boat <laughs> setting jets. yeah Too right early. right right broom setting let's say <laughs> broom setting there you go yeah yeah uh next question what harry what harry potter era character will debut this time <laughs> i think this is just an unfortunate reality jk wants to drop in each of these ca- a character to get people excited now is this a name we're familiar with just based on last name, or is this an actual character from the Potter series? Given Nagini, given Dumbledore, let's say a specific person or creature. <laughs> There's no way that we don't at least hear Tom Riddle's name mm. at some point. Mm-hmm. I like it. I'm going to say Godric Gryffindor, and I'm going to say we are going to learn that the Zuwu is a direct descendant of Godric Gryffindor. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so you're saying Godric Gryffindor will appear in the third film? Um, I'm going to say the Zuwu starts talking English. This this beast comes to life and we learn that Godric Gryffindor um has lions in his family lineage. Hmm. Lion-like characters. Here I thought you were taking this question seriously. I am. I I think this is very. This will get Harry Potter fans excited because of the Hogwarts connection. Hmm. Micah, what do you think? I'm kind of along the same lines as Laura, but I'll go with Slughorn. I think mm. that he's at least it, McGonagall aside, right? Um, he actually fits the timeline yes. because of his interactions with Tom Riddle. So I think there's a very good chance that we could see him in the next film. I'd like to see Jim Broadbent return, but I suppose they won't necessarily do that because everyone is cast by a younger actor. Um, yeah, but, but they yeah, in they Half-Blood have this... Prince, they had Jim Broadbent playing the younger Slughorn. Right. Yeah, but have you seen that meme? That's on, There's a very, very funny meme about Jude Law and, and also when they made up Michael Gambon to be young uh, when he visits the <laughs> yeah. orphanage. You've yeah. seen the meme and it's like, what happened in these next 15 years because it's Jude Law on the left and then young, quote, air quotes, Michael Gambon on the right. It's like, <laughs> teaching is hard. You've been a teacher, Laura. I'm sure you mm-hmm. connected to that. Oh, yeah. I aged easily a decade. 
during my short tenure as a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Obama effect, really. Really, except I I did not have nearly the substantial effect that he had. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, that's... Give yourself credit. He was president. Give yourself more credit. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to just, you know what? I accused Andrew of uh, taking the matter lightly, but uh, wasn't that boa constrictor from Brazil? That Harry runs into at the zoo. <laughs> so you think True. that one? Oh yeah, his his uh, grandfather. I'm gonna say. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, how is he? Well, maybe boa constrictors live long. I'm telling you, she's bringing out all these snake characters that are like secretly in the Fantastic Beasts. I'll yeah, say that. Dude, I also think that we should look outside the box a little bit. Characters that are mentioned in the Potter series, but maybe don't necessarily play a major role, like Nicholas Flamel did in the in. Uh, Crimes of Grindelwald. I think they'll probably be somebody like that. Yeah, I, I think that that's real smart. Characters we don't necessarily know were ever in Brazil, but we can meet them there. People like Bethilda Bagshot, um, you know, who are like ancient wizards and witches who are very strong, very cool. You know, it'd be cool to see Bethilda Bagshot uh, in the jungle on safari or something. Well, apparently th- uh, the school in Brazil produced libaceous borage. Oh, Barrage, however you say his last name. The potion guy. Yeah, the, the famous potion maker. Hmm. I think Bagshot, there's a very good chance we'll see a younger version of her because she was the great aunt of Grindelwald. That's right. And she's his connection to Godric's Hollow. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that seems like a done deal. Regarding Libatius Borage, it would be awesome to have Newt and he interact because they're both authors of very popular books in the Harry Potter series. So it'd be cool to see him, like the two of them as like fellow authors or something. I don't know. There's something to that, I think. Are we going to see an early version of Order of the Phoenix? And the reason we have this question here is because there is this book that is opened up by Flamel towards the end of the movie. And we see Dumbledore's name is in it, according to the screenplay, even though it's hard to see in the movie if it's there at all. Um, And... And they seem to be using it to communicate with each other. And we know that Professor Eulalie Hicks, an Ilvermorny professor, is in this book as well. Laura, what did you make of that book when you saw it in the movie? To be honest with you, I've only seen the movie once. Yeah. And I I was kind of overwhelmed by all of the details that were being dropped on us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with you. I think that this this does sort of go back to the idea that we might be seeing sort of an early fledgling version of the order of the Phoenix. Maybe not called that. Yeah. I just order of the zoo. Woo. Order of the zoo. Woo. <laughs> I just, I am worried actually. I, I don't want it to be the order of the Phoenix explicitly. Like I like the concept that people are talking to each other through this book that Flamel has in his vault, but I don't know. It's just like, do we need another thing directly from, Harry Potter. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. I'll be into it either way, because I do like the Order of the Phoenix, of course. Mm-hmm. They're drawing such strong parallels at this point between this and the Potter series that I would be very surprised if there wasn't some kind of Order of the Phoenix parallel in the Fantastic Beasts world. I agree. There's such a difference between drawing a parallel and like lazily copying what you did before. Like, Well... <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, it's a point well taken. But going off of Laura's earlier point, though, about this being a world war, 
all these people live in different parts of the world. They need a means of communication if they're going to combat Grindelwald. And if this book allows them to do it, then I think it's the earlier version of people sending their Patronus to each other, like the Order of the Phoenix did uh, when we read the Potter series. Mm -hmm. And it's just a distance thing, right? You can't send a whatever your Patronus is, 3,000 miles to New York City, you have to uh, open up a book. And I think the fact that there was a phoenix on the cover probably indicates that that's the direction this is going. You want to take this next question, Eric? Considering we're talking about going to Brazil, uh, my input on the next two questions will be focused kind of on that. But do you guys think we'll actually see Castilla Bruxu, uh before we see Ilvermorny <laughs> in person? <laughs> if we... If we go to Brazil, because, I mean, we were in North America in the first film, but we didn't see Overmorny. It only got name dropped. I know you, Lely Hicks, is from America, but what are the odds we're going to actually set foot in Overmorny versus the odds that we're going to set foot in the school in Brazil? I would say better odds that we're going to see Overmorny because of you, Lely Hicks, and J.K. Rowling already saying that she's going to have a big role in movie three. I don't think it's going to be a lot of action within Ilvermorny because it sounds like we might just jump to her in her school and it'll be cool to see that American Wizarding World American Wizarding School for the first time um it's well described on Pottermore it is yeah. and and I think it could be a huge marketing point for the movie <laughs> I mean they they tried to really push hey you're gonna be able to return to Hogwarts in Fantastic Beasts 2 the jury's still kind of out on if that was a good strategy or not, or if they maybe should have pushed that harder. But um, I, I think they should be promoting that we're going to be going to the American Wizarding School. Anyway, yes, I think we are going to see it a little bit. And that school actually has seems to have a purpose in this second movie. Whereas for what we know right now, this other school, there's really no reason we should be there that we know of. And taking it back to the main four characters... Uh, you know, Tina and Queenie both grew up and went to Ilvermorny. So mm. I think we still should see Ilvermorny at some point, you know, for their character arcs. It'd be nice to see them return to their school the way Newt gets to in Crimes of Grindelwald. But I just uh, don't know if we're going to Brazil, why we should uh, spend any time really in New York. Yeah. Well, it's not in New York. Yeah. America. Massachusetts. Isn't it in Salem? Um, somewhere up there. Yeah, it is in New England somewhere, yeah. isn't it? It's it's the mountains of Massachusetts, like the Northwest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I see almost like a very quick shot of her packing up her stuff and, and heading out to wherever she has to go. And maybe we get like an exterior mm -hmm. shot of, of Ilvermorny. Kind of like we did Nermengard in uh, Crimes of Grindelwald. So our next question is, what new beasts are we going to see? Yeah. If they're new, I mean, J.K. Rowling seems to be in inventing a lot of completely new beasts for each of these movies. And I think we ended up being pleased by how many beasts were in the second movie. So agree. I think if this movie is primarily set in the Southern Hemisphere, I think we could see a lot of fantastical, whimsical, colorful creatures. Mm -hmm. Definitely La Chupacabra, for sure. Because <laughs> she already dropped that one before, remember? And everybody was like... Yeah. But those they don't have those in Europe. And then she started talking about Rio. It made a lot more sense. <laughs> it was Grindelwald's pet. Grindelwald, maybe, oh, here you go. We know Grindelwald killed that chupacabra at the beginning of the second movie. So maybe we're going back to Brazil because he needs another one. Mm -hmm. 
or or the family will avenge the death of their of the... <laughs> yeah that's how Dumbledore defeats Grindelwald in 1945 ah it turns out a coop chupacabra finally wins against Johnny Depp uh, and I know we read the description of uh, Castello Bruchu earlier, but they have these protectors of the school, these Caporas. They're kind of furry spirit beings. So I would assume if we're going to see the school that we will see these beasts as well. Yeah. Um, it's weird that there are now not one, but two beasts that are described as being spirits or having, because like I'm thinking of the Matagos. Um in Crimes of Grindelwald, they're described as being the spirit guardians or spirit familiars. Like, what? what is, where is, this is not really a Harry Potter thing yet until now with these, something, some connection to the spirit world. Does that mean they're partly ghosts? Does it mean something else? The fact that there's these, was it tree spirits or protectors of forest, was it said? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah. But. I, I I don't know. It just the Matago, the spirit aspect kind of creeps me out a little bit. It also reminds me of Princess Mononoke, which is a great, you know, movie. But yeah, just kind of wondering where she's going with this ethereal plane. James, who's listening live on Patreon, he says, Fantastic Beast 3, Antonio's Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> Alas, Antonio. <laughs> well, speaking of dead creatures, um, what character will die in movie three, this is a very specific, serious question. We may have lost Lita in movie two. Will we lose a big one in movie three? I don't know. I think if they're going to kill anybody big, they're going to save it for the end. Especially if they're kind of going along with the with the trend of mm. sort of mirroring the Potter series. I don't think that any of the main characters have fully... Um, journeyed their character arcs at this point so i don't think it would make sense hmm. that's a good point what about theseus that's who i was gonna say yeah i think i think newt has to lose his brother to propel newt further into this battle because the jury the jury is still out on why newt would care so much about fighting with dumbledore it doesn't really concern him yeah. Are are you guys going to actually feel anything if Theseus <laughs> dies? I will. Well, getting to your point, Laura, maybe in this third movie there is more character development. Perhaps. Because at this point, I don't really know all that much about the guy except that he stole his brother's girl. <laughs> hey, whoa. Agency. We, we don't even know that. I mean, we don't we don't know the history there, unfortunately. Lita, Lita chooses who she wants to be with she's a strong independent woman yeah darn it um <laughs> i think Lu theseus's arc could probably be wrapped up in one movie that's why i guess him um you know we'll talk about this a little later when we do character questions but i think that you know he can sort of have a little bit of a res resolve to find and and get grindelwald as retribution uh for his fiance's death or supposed death and, you know, I think that'll probably motivate him or possibly motivate him to either make mistakes or to be the bold Gryffindor and march in and possibly get himself into hot water or hot blue fire. Mm -hmm. I was going to say Theseus also, but I could see Grindelwald capturing Theseus and keeping him in Nurmengard. I, I just feel like this 
castle has to be used for some purpose outside of just being their headquarters for the time being. And I think that he would potentially see Theseus as being somebody that could be useful to him moving forward. Um, I'm going to go with Ariana. We'll see her. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see that scene in movie three, so that's what I'm going to say is going to I guess gonna that go. can count. That's a flashback, though. We already yeah. know that. So question, do you think that these movies will address the question that has always sort of lingered, which is that who was directly responsible for her death? Because that was sort of left up in the air. Right. I think, well, it seems like in the Harry Potter series, Dumbledore still doesn't know to that day, right? So, or at least he didn't, he didn't say who exactly was responsible. It was just kind of a, a mess of a moment and she accidentally got killed. So I think it would be a nice moment for fans to get a clear answer on that. You know, uh, one of our listeners wrote in to su- suggest, I think I saw this over on Facebook, but um, they suggested that it was the blood pact that did it. So it's not even that one spell came from someone's wand and hit Ariana accidentally, but maybe if Grindelwald and Dumbledore were actually attacking each other, that it was the first time hypothetically that they attacked each other and the recoil or it did something weird magic wise, like Harry and Voldemort's wands Mm. do and Ariana was killed. So the reason it doesn't get mentioned is, you know, Dumbledore doesn't want to get into the weeds about how there was this blood pact. He's probably, you know, revisionist history and the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And in the screenplay, doesn't it say that it, it hurts him the thought of, of this blood pact? Mm-hmm. So I think he was, you know, he was, yeah, he, he has a lot of regret over that blood pact. Well, if I have to pick somebody, I'll go with Abernathy. <laughs> That's a good one. I hate that guy. But but will he have lines before he dies? Uh, no, and he doesn't deserve them. <laughs> it's a missed opportunity to showcase how somebody on the inside is wit- is unwittingly ter- how somebody who is a little lower on the totem pole is promised power and greatness and rises. Mm-hmm. Uh, J.K. Rowling's missing a perfectly good opportunity by making Abernathy some kind of weird scapegoat or I don't know silent. He's kind of like uh, Pettigrew. Yeah, but I mean, there's something with Pettigrew too, where if she had just told the story from his side of this, his perspective, maybe we'd be a little bit more sympathetic. I don't know. Mm-hmm. God, I already did. I even guess what? What was my guess? I'm already forgetting who I said. Theseus. Theseus. That's right. Eric and I are in agreement. Yeah, I think we all kind of came to the conclusion that Theseus is a goner. All right, you you want to. Put your money down I'll, on him too. I'm Team Theseus. <laughs> team, unteam Theseus. <laughs> I, I will. Fi- I will feel something when he dies, Laura. I think. Uh, <laughs> we. I mean, we I, I'm surprised it didn't happen in movie two. We kind of were all. Yeah. We were all ready for that. Um, Newt's still losing a brother, so that's sad. Yeah. All right. Well, and and final one before we get into specific character questions. What will the opening scene be? We were talking about the time jump earlier. <laughs> I'm going to say, given the big Aurelius reveal at the end of the second movie, that the opening shot is going to be Credence looking out of Grindelwald's windows, <laughs> staring at the mountain he just blew up. <laughs> I know who I am now. I will rise. I will win. I like it. I like it. I am. Um, 
I uh, don't think the film series is going to slow down with throwing uh, plot points and events at us in effort to tie this grandiose story that should be eight or nine movies into five. So I suggest that there will be a little bit of a time jump uh, between movies two and three, probably five years, and that in order to tie things up a little, the film will open with a wedding, and I wrote it was uh, a wedding between Bunty and the assistant from Jacob's Bakery, the guy who he leaves in charge at the end of movie one or who is in the back stock room. So I think those two are going to marry because it's Jacob's assistant and Newt's assistant, and then Jacob and Newt are going to be there at the wedding, and it'll open with them. They were a strong point in movie two, so I'd like to see them more. This mystical bakery assistant, though, who we never even (laughs) saw, who you're just like pretending exists. I mean, we don't know that they're there. He's, He's in the film. He's in the first movie. I'll get you a screenshot. Okay. <laughs> it would at least tie up Bunty's storyline. <laughs> what yeah. was the point of that? You know, I know. Like, I left the movie. I was like, who the hell is Bunty? Poor Bunty. <laughs> she was so excited to be a film star. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it will open with Dumbledore gazing into the mirror of Erised longingly, especially given how. Uh, Dumbledore was left off in this movie considering how he's going to go against Grindelwald and possibly destroy the blood pact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I went with the uh, Godric's Hollow circa 1900. Yeah. That that would be awesome. They kind of did that a little bit with the opening montage of this movie and in terms of like having the uh, location and date at the bottom of the screen. So mm-hmm. I think uh, it would be a cool way to open the third movie with the uh, flashback as to, and, and, you know, like we'll go away from it for part of the movie. Then we'll come back and we'll finally figure out by the end of the film, what happened to Godric's Hollow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, we are going to dive into more extremely early fantastic beast three predictions in just a moment. But first we have a new sponsor this week. They are a new podcast from Wondery. It's out now. It's called Imagined Life. I think MuggleCast listeners are going to love this. Imagined Life lets you step into the life of a well-known celebrity. Thanks to brilliant voice acting, sound effects, and a well-researched story, you can feel like you're experiencing someone's life from their point of view. And the reason they're a sponsor is because they have an episode that Harry Potter fans are going to really enjoy. It's the episode called The Daydreamer. This is their episode in which you get to become J.K. Rowling. It's so interesting because the host narrates it from the second-person perspective. So they'll say, you are doing this. You are doing that. It lets you feel like you're living the life of J.K. Rowling. For example, the narrator will go, the book's done. Now you got to figure out how to get it out there. Self-confidence has never been your strong suit, but you know people are going to love this book. And they don't even say her name until the very end. And that's the fun thing about this podcast. You don't know whose life you're in until the final moments, unless you can guess it from the details that they're sharing. And the details are super interesting. I listened to their Daydreamer episode. And besides feeling like I was actually living the life of J.K. Rowling from her early years to present day, from her worst points to her highest, you actually learn a lot about the person that you are. There are a bunch of moments in... The daydreamer where I was like, whoa, that actually happened to J.K. Rowling. So I went Googling and it was true. And I was like, wow, I did not know that happened to her. That's crazy. So again, it's it's all fact-based 
and they're making you feel like you're living the life of this person. Try out the show. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Again, it's called Imagined Life. It's available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to this episode of MuggleCast. We'll also have a link to the show in the show notes. And uh, the, the episode, again, is The Daydreamer. That's the J.K. Rowling one. Listen to it during your holiday travels. I think y'all are really going to like it. And you'll feel good because you feel like you are J.K. Rowling or any of these other celebrities. And you're like, wow, I finally made it in life. And then the episode ends. <laughs> and you're like, wait, I'm not. Okay, so I need to listen to more of these to continue feeling that way. <laughs> you're just sort of catapulted back into the depressing present. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, my episode this sounds super interesting i'm gonna subscribe definitely they did a really great job with it can you imagine our episodes of this podcast you woke up and pet your dog and did nothing for the rest of the day (laughs) you're seeking (laughs) you're seeking a better life but how will you find it you turn on imagined life (laughs) (laughs) all right so um Let's talk about specific characters and questions we have around them. Make some predictions. So, McGonagall. She was a big surprise in, in, in Fantastic Beasts 2. And she's the reason why, one of the reasons why we had this question earlier about which Harry Potter era character will appear. Will McGonagall actually have a bigger role? Like the actress's publicist said in an email to me. Uh, you know, I hope not. I did not love the McGonagall name drop that happened in this movie. I was very hopeful that it was going to turn out to be like a parent or a grandparent. When it turned out it wasn't, I was I was a little bit like, uh, yeah, <laughs> really? <laughs> what do you guys think? I think you got to go big or you got to go home. I think J.K. Rowling's got to... <laughs> justify in some ways because otherwise it just looks like a shameful lowest common denominator harry potter fan grab you know low-hanging fruit of uh just putting somebody we're familiar with in the movies to sell tickets i think that jk rowling has a reason for breaking canon by about 19 years and putting mcgonagall in the world well earlier than she should have been and whether that's because she's wearing a time turner or whether that's because she has more to do as far as counseling Albus, you know, about young baby Voldemort who's coming to the Hogwarts in about six years <laughs> or whatever. There's got to be some reason why she's in this series. So I think that the publicist in her private email to you, Andrew, uh, was probably telling the truth. I wonder if she'll be a part of this Order of the Phoenix type group. Is she in that book? I, I think that would be cool. Because let's say Dumbledore has to go to Brazil or something. Um he can stay in touch with Hogwarts slash McGonagall by using this book that he also is a part of. And obviously people really love McGonagall. So it'd be really exciting to see her have a large role potentially in helping defeat Grindelwald. Yeah. I I honestly think the actress they got for her is perfect. I I really enjoyed those moments in the movie. Next question. Will Credence and Nagini actually become closer? I'm going to say they're not going to interact basically at all in this third movie. Yeah, I mean, the way the movie ended didn't really set them up for much of anything, right? No, no, they were very separate. I feel like Nagini is going to have mm-hmm. to convince Credence to come back to the good side at some point. It's so hard to do. 
I can see a very tragic story coming here. Maybe Grindelwald is responsible for her ultimately transitioning or Credence, her longing for Credence inevitably makes her become the maledictus permanently. Yeah. Or she trades herself to save Credence. Oh. Hmm. I like that idea. I wonder how it could Mm -hmm. become true. Because she's already got the blood curse, so like, what, what's happening to finally push her permanently into a snake? Well, that's happening without any outside interference. But do you mean, Lara, that she's trading herself for Greedence, like, yes. like to Grindelwald? Because yes. an Obscurus is far more valuable than a, a Maledictus. Well, maybe it's not necessarily Grindelwald. Who knows who they might meet in this next movie? Oh, gosh. Um, but maybe, I don't know. I, I I feel like I'm seeing some sort of sacrifice. Mm. Not necessarily death, but uh, Nagini's whole trajectory is set up to be incredibly tragic, yeah. as right. we all know. Yeah. And so I think, I think she's going to be um, the fall girl for something. One of the things, I think it may have ended up being a deleted scene because we never got to see it in the movies, but we saw it in the trailers was Nagini and Credence up on a rooftop and it looked like he was trying to channel his Obscurus and they looked to be having a conversation. And and I always was of the, the mind that he was trying to teach her how to control this thing that was in, within her, right? Because they're very much in similar situations with where they have these things within them that they have trouble controlling. So I almost thought like he could have been the way for her to, to finally figure out how not to transform into a snake unwillingly. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I agree. It's sort of like a guided meditation of keeping the animal, the beast within at bay was totally where I was thinking that that was going to Micah's point. What will Jacob be up to besides officiating Bunty and Jacob assistance <laughs> wedding? <laughs> Let's see. So at the end of the movie, he's at Hogwarts, right? But <laughs> from what we know, he can't actually see Hogwarts. So <laughs> he just sees like Dumbledore floating towards Newt. Is that basically it? So in movie three, he's in therapy over seeing some really wacky stuff at the end of (laughs) movie two that just does not compute in his head. I I wouldn't be surprised, though, Andrew, if you're not far off. Like I could see Jacob being very, very depressed in in movie three. But he's always he's a good time guy. He always like, ah, you know, it's not so bad. He he he, um, tries to remain an eternal optimist, I think. That's one of the greatest things about his character for me. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how he reacts to his girl, like, leaving him for wizard Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I don't know. (laughs) Well, so, yeah, we have to ask that in relation to Jacob. I mean, presumably Jacob is going to be trying to get Queenie back to the right side. So I think that's the clear answer. It's because he's great. Yeah. But he's so limited by not having magic. He, well... Isn't his greatest power his love for Queenie and vice versa? So I think that could be more powerful than any magic. Mm -hmm. And we all know that the Potter world or the wizarding world loves coming back to the power of love. Yes. So. Hmm. Maybe Jacob's love for Queenie lets him see Hogwarts. (laughs) 
That's a stretch. I mean, it's a question for David Heyman because at the end of the movie, he's looking in the general direction of Hogwarts. Whatever he sees is not delved into. Well, I feel like Jacob, though, has already been so many places he otherwise shouldn't have experienced or seen. So (laughs) why not just add Hogwarts to the list? Maybe Dumbledore gives him special uh, goggles. You know what? Maybe it's the lasting effect. Okay, I'm patenting this idea now. Uh, the lasting effect of the Mertlap poison in his bloodstream is that he can now see Hogwarts because he's still got the scar <laughs> on his neck. Maybe we're going to Rio de Janeiro because that's just where Jacob is going to go on vacation. He needs a break after all this crazy stuff happening to him. You know, Flamel. Yeah, I agree. I would ask what you guys think about the tone of this movie because movie two was very dark, very serious, very gearing up for war. Are we ever going to get, in your opinion, uh, a relaxing, feel-good kind of slower-paced <laughs> no. movie? Or is it all just going to be war and death? War, death, sadness, and baked goods. <laughs> no. I think the third film may be a little bit more upbeat. Yeah. Is that good, though? Because, <laughs> you know, yeah. something we like to joke about, whether it's this movie or it's like the Walking Dead TV series or anything else, all these, all these franchises love to talk about how it gets darker. Oh, it's the darkest one yet. Oh, this film? So dark. Can they possibly be like, oh, this one's bright and happy. Go see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like, Walking Dead is too dark to see. Like, Walking yeah, right, Dead, the, right. the Negan stuff. I'm just like, why do we want to plumb the depths of human beings being awful to each other, as awful as you possibly could be? Like, I absolutely want to see... I, I still want another like Chris Columbus, Harry Potter film. I'm missing it. I'm sorry. I just, I, that's what this world needs, I think. And to be able to take a breather and relax a little bit in between, you know, what's sure to be two movies of fighting Grindelwald, wizard Hitler, we could use a little light, light step. What will Queenie, will, will Queenie be revealed to have been a double agent in this movie? With one theory is that that is what she is up to. But I'm not convinced that she's a double agent at this point. She seems to not be under yet. some spell. Yeah, I think eventually she's going to turn double agent. But if she was, if this was her plan from the beginning, there's no way in hell she would have brought Jacob with her to that meeting. Yeah. <laughs> ah, to you put know, him in she wouldn't have wanted to put him in the middle of that. Yeah, that's a good point. If she cares about him at all, but she might not. <laughs> I know. She was trying to, like, love spell him into marrying her. It doesn't make sense. No. Yeah, I mean, speaking of tragic, I, I think she's ultimately going to die for him. I think that she'll be the one of the four that ends up not making it through the series. Hmm. See, between her and Jacob, I would say Jacob is the one who's going to die since he's the muggle and it would be this tragic story it, that, of this muggle getting involved in the wizarding world and eventually losing his life. Yeah, but I feel like that's too easy, especially because he doesn't have the ability really to defend himself. Oh, well, Nuke gave him a pretty nice helmet. It's worked out well so far. <laughs> yeah, so he didn't get banged by an rumpet. <laughs> The helmet wouldn't have stopped that. And I mean, also, he's a fan favorite. So there's the potential to really tug on people's heartstrings there. So it could be a really big moment. Yeah. Didn't she say that Anthony Goldstein, the Hogwarts student, is distantly related to no. Tina? No, she really did. I yeah. Think I think I'm she pretty did. sure she did. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, but I, I, but it's unclear if that could be a Scamander kid. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to come from. Queenie. 
mm-hmm. um, might be one of their cousins or something. Right, right, uh, right. Well, and and also you bring up their last names. We are heading towards World War Two, and Goldstein is a Jewish last name. I wonder mm-hmm. if that's going to play into the series at all. Um. Micah, why don't you take this next question? You're a big Yusuf Kama fan. All right. Where the hell is Yusuf Kama? We did see him at the end of the movie, so we know he at least went to Hogwarts uh, with the crew. But I guess what kind of a role is he going to play moving forward? And does his unbreakable vow still apply? This is a big question coming off of the last film because if baby Corvus Jr. died in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean... Why is this man still beholden to an unbreakable vow? I am so confused by the use of comma, Lestrange, Corvus mm-hmm. stuff that I just, I cannot provide an answer. <laughs> Other same. than that. Yeah. Same. I think he, first and foremost, needs to see an ophthalmologist after <laughs> what he went through in this last movie. Yes. There is no way that was healthy for his eyes. <laughs> well, this raises a question, though, Laura. I, I know you were talking about what you thought of the movie but what about the end of the movie do you believe that credence is in fact a dumbledore or do you just think we were being throwing misdirection left right and center Uh, i feel like they are setting it up for him to actually be a dumbledore which i don't love Mm. um because it definitely feels it feels sort of out of left field and I, i think that's one of the one of the the issues that the series is going to come up against is that it has a very dedicated fan base of people who are used to being able to walk into a movie and have like all of this background and source material to support what happens in the movie and to understand and interpret what happens in the movie. In this case, we don't really have that. I mean, apart from the script books, um, but that's a bit different. It's a totally different medium. Mm-hmm. So. Something that I've been arguing, though, is that J.K. Rowling needs to genuinely surprise fans in this franchise. We can't know everything. But did you feel like that was a surprise, though? Yeah, nobody predicted. Well, yeah, nobody predicted it, but it wasn't like... uh, It just didn't give you that... At least me. It didn't give me that feeling of like, wow, like, she really got us. It was more just like, what the... You know... Huh. I I think my thing was it didn't... Reveals like that feel unfair to me as a viewer if there was nothing that happened previously that would have allowed me to possibly predict that outcome. That's 100%. Yep, totally agree. With the exception of him playing with the bird on the rooftop and Dumbledore's mention of a phoenix coming to members of his family, Mm -hmm. I I still don't feel like the movie set that up. Those were two just... It just it just didn't do it. Like the whole Lita right. thing, and and her brother. I feel like why even tell that story? Why why even bring it up? It was so central to what was going on. All the 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 predictions of Tycho Dodonis, or or you know, it's, there was so much in there. Are you telling me all of that is irrelevant though? That that meant absolutely nothing. In in so basically, we watched two hours and 10 minutes for no reason just to get to three minutes of or of, of credence being revealed as a Dumbledore. It, it just didn't work. Don't forget me. about the Niffler. We got, we got a couple more minutes. We got a lot of time with the Niffler, Micah. Yeah. Okay. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's not a total loss. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, I was saying this at a party yesterday um, that I was at, but like, it's not witty, 
to just completely obscure a character's motivations. It's it's not witty to just omit any kind of semblance of understanding of why they're behaving the way that they are. There's there's some benefit to having like a gray area character, uh, you know, whose backstory is not entirely clear but hinted at. But after getting, you know, two hours with Tina, Queenie, and other characters in the first Fantastic Beast film, it's dreadfully unclear why and how they're behaving the way that they that we see them behave in the second movie. And it's not smartly written. It's just sloppy and lazy. It, well, well, and the entirety of the first movie is Grindelwald trying to find this Obscurus, and he treats Credence like absolute garbage throughout the entire movie, but then turns around in movie two and, and is like, oh, by the way, I know who you really are. You're Dumbledore's brother. Surprise. Mm-hmm. Like, what? And Tina and Queenie forgive him for taking over the ministry as graves, or they don't mention it, or they don't care about it at all. Anyway. All right. Quick, quick yeah. question. Is Lita alive? Yes or no? I'm going to say yes. Yes. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm going to say no, just because she was the one that I predicted to die in this movie. So. <laughs> you keep bringing that up. Yeah. No. Micah, stick to your guns. Right. I ha- yeah, I have to just stick with it. <laughs> okay. I, I hope she is because I think hopefully we'll get better explanation into her backstory and, and whatever went on between Corvus and, and Credence. But for now, I'm saying yes. Okay. I mean, no. I mean, no, she's not alive. I was reading what you you just typed out there yeah. or Eric typed out there and it said yes. So that's why I said I got you. <laughs> Need more coffee. I'm sorry. All right, well, you get some more coffee. We have some Dumbledore questions to uh, to address. But first, we have a second new sponsor this week, and uh, they are Care Of. I quickly fell in love with these guys. They're a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. Did you guys know that 90% of people fall short of FDA-recommended guidelines for at least one vitamin or nutrient? Yeah. Madam Pomfrey would not be pleased. <laughs> Care of make sure you're getting the vitamins and supplements you need to lead a better life. You start by taking their fun online quiz that asks you about your diet, your health goals, and lifestyle choices. And once they have your answers, they give you a personalized list of vitamins and supplements that you should be taking. And you can order all these from them, and they'll start delivering them to you every month. I took the quiz, it was fun, it was cute. And they presented me with six vitamins they think I need to be taking. And Care of provides all the research that supports each of the recommendations. And it's all backed by scientific advisory boards. So you can trust the recommendations that they're giving you. So I signed up. I subscribed. And here's what's so cool. Your vitamins get delivered right to your door in personalized, easy-to-remember daily packs. You just pull a pack out of the box every day. It's got your name and it's got a it's got a fun factor challenge for your daily amusement printed right on the pack. Like there was a challenge on one this week that asked me to text a friend an emoji that I've never used before. It's just goofy stuff like that that makes me enjoy grabbing one of these pill packs. And now every day I'm taking six pills that'll do things like improve my energy, give me fish oils, give me that precious vitamin D because they learned from my quiz that I don't get outside much. <laughs> These are all things that Care of decided I needed after I told them about my lifestyle. I'm really enjoying it. And as someone who works out and already tries to eat healthy, I love knowing that my workouts and diet are now being complemented with the nutrients that I've been missing. So I want you to try Care of. You're going to love having your daily vitamins and supplements sorted out for you 
by their experts. We've got a great offer. For 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code MuggleCast. Again, for 25% off, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code MuggleCast. A great new subscription service to start off 2019. Keep yourself in good shape. So, Dumbledore, obviously a very big part of Fantastic Beasts now. We have questions related to him. Will Newt finally stand up to this guy? Newt's being used by him. Yeah, sounds familiar. He has to. Just for the sake of his character development, he has to. Yeah, yeah, he can't can't keep getting stepped on like a salamander. He's got to stand up. There should finally be a moment in this series where somebody just smacks around Dumbledore. Like, has that ever happened before? I don't think so. (laughs) And Harry never could because he died before he could do it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think ultimately there will be a question of, are you just toying with me or do you actually respect me as a person? Because Dumbledore can walk the walk and talk the talk of actually caring about Newt. But at the end of the day, he's using him like a pawn and isn't necessarily that secretive about doing so. And I think Dumbledore's in for a reality check of if you really want these friendships, if you want us to trust you, you got to lay it out. You got to lay yourself on the line a little bit more than you than you do and come clean. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, though, now that we know who each have chosen to kind of do their bidding. Right. Mm -hmm. So Dumbledore has chosen Newt. Grindelwald has seemingly chosen Credence because we know that they can't move against each other. So will the two of them ever come face to face and have to battle it out? And how would Newt fare against an Obscurus? Well, and speaking of that, that leads into our next question. Will Dumbledore destroy the blood pack? And now this is one of the reasons why I don't think there can be a big time jump. Because at the end of Crimes of Grindelwald, there's this scene where Newt says, can you destroy this? And Dumbledore says, maybe, right? So it'd be really weird for them to jump a few years ahead and be like, oh, yeah, that blood pack, it was destroyed a year ago. <laughs> Unless Dumbledore, it takes years for Dumbledore to destroy this. But that seems a little strange. I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking, is that perhaps it will be destroyed at the end of the third movie. Hmm. So much of the narrative of the third movie will be about searching for solutions that will allow them to destroy it, which could explain why they're going to South America. Oh, Okay. That's a good point. Yeah, my question would be, what's the consequence, though, to the person who ultimately destroys the blood pact? Right. Or is there another person or entity that could destroy it? Does it have to be Dumbledore or Grindelwald, or is there a beast that can destroy Mm -hmm. it? Is there somebody who was present when the blood pact was made outside of the two of them, kind of similar to the Unbreakable Vow? Like when um, Bellatrix kind of performed the ceremony between Snape and Narcissa, was there somebody there? Was it Aberforth? Was it somebody else? Aberforth. (laughs) Was it his goat? He and his goat. (laughs) I definitely think that Dumbledore is going to require some assistance in the actual destruction of the blood pact. If for no other reason, then Grindelwald is his weak spot. I don't think that on his own, he's going to have enough motivation to do that. There's got to be some other impetus there pushing him to that point. Agreed. When we talked about it 
uh, I think during the first episode recap, we were like, well, he says maybe he'll be able to destroy it, but we all think he's capable. It's just whether or not he wants to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and all he's got to do is go down to the Chamber of Secrets and get a basilisk venom, venom fang, and uh, from the you know the living, breathing basilisk, and that'll blow it up. Oh yeah, back to Hogwarts, or maybe there's a Chamber of Secrets equivalent at Ilvermorny. <laughs> Eulalie, hook me up. Oh yeah, but the chamber itself will be opened before the end of these uh, this series. Ooh, will we get a Dumbledore Grindelwald confrontation? No, not in movie three. No. Mm-mm. Be nice if they saw each other in passing, maybe. <laughs> like, looked each other up and down once or twice, like that meme. <laughs> <laughs> they just look at each other, and Grindelwald's just like, How you doing? <laughs> Miss you. <laughs> Will Dumbledore open up about his relationship with Grindelwald to say, Newt? I think so. Yeah, I think he has to. Yeah, I think it's time. I mean, he more or less did in front of members of the ministry, mm-hmm. though I don't think they were very quick on the uptake there when he said we were more than brothers. But uh, I think right. that, uh, yeah, he's he's going to have to give Newt a little bit more information here. Mm-hmm. How about Ariana Dumbledore? Will that name be muttered? We still haven't heard it yet, and we feel like it's going to play, she's going to play a big role in some regard. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about... Uh, references from the original series that actually belong. This is one of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I just wonder if it's in this next movie that we're going to be getting this. I mean, we're halfway through at that point. They kind of gotta. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's kind of a light way of saying somebody pointed out to us that we still don't know that she was an obscurial um, or had an obscurus canonically we don't know that the signs all point to it book seven reads like it but the concept of obscurials and obscurises was one that was firmly introduced in fantastic beasts first Mm -hmm. so this slow reveal that ariana was one you know will be interesting but they do kind of have to get about getting to it Mm -hmm. if it's going to happen here's a big question will dumbledore learn of his brother (laughs) alleged brother aurelius (laughs) <laughs> I, I i'm gonna say yes but it also wouldn't surprise me if this is somehow still kept a secret given that it was just so out of bl- out of out of left field hmm. yeah we're gonna see credence react as though he believes it that's for sure yeah mm-hmm. it would be so amusing if dumbledore was kept in the dark for another movie about <laughs> this <laughs> um Next question. Will Eulalie Hicks save the day? The Elvermorny professor. <laughs> I'll be bold and say yes, she will. Save the day. Hmm. This is the new character, Laura, I don't know if you know this, played by Jessica Williams. Remember her from The Daily Show? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love Jessica Williams. I would love to see it. Mm-hmm. She kind of saves the day in Crimes of Grindelwald by convincing Nicholas Flamel to go to the graveyard. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So this question is two years too late. (laughs) (laughs) I refuse to read this next question. I think it's offensive. Um, Oh. Will Grindelwald and Rosier be romantically involved? No. Well, Grindelwald, Grindelwald, he's not interested in romance in this series. He might not be, but he's got some loyal followers. And I don't know. It's just this self-imposed 
celibacy does not seem to be Grindelwald's route. It might be Dumbledore's, but I'm saying we might yet see a romance for Grindelwald so that, you know, five years later, after all these movies are done, there can be a West End play about the love child between <laughs> Grindelwald and Rosier. That's what I think this is all heading for is is really a West End play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think we have time for another romance, honestly. <laughs> no. Do you think their love child will also have wings? <laughs> <laughs> Just tattooed on her back, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, at the end of the movie, when uh, Grindelwald's followers go away, they do like fly up into the air, so <sighs> I could see them having wings, the child. Newton Tina, how about that one? Because we know that is what is going to happen eventually. Yeah. And like they did have some special scenes in movie two. Mm-hmm. I'm just hoping for more maturity in this relationship. You know, these are grown adults. And uh it's it seemed like they were sort of having that like some school age romance drama <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> I would like to see them have a well-adjusted partnership. Laura, that's love. When you when you first start falling for somebody, you get butterflies, and it is that high school feeling. Sorry that you have such a, a long-lasting relationship that you forget. No, it's not that. But like, for instance, the whole like, oh my god, I read in a magazine that you got engaged, so now I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Come <laughs> that on. Was... Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. But like the salamander stuff, that was cute. Yeah, that was cute. Inappropriate. <laughs> All right. Well, there are our extremely early Fantastic Beasts 3 predictions, knowing nothing about the third film. Chances are all of those predictions are wrong, but it's still fun to make them. So to wrap up today's show, let's play some Quizzage. Last week's question was from Fantastic Beasts 1. What historical accuser of witches, later among the accused herself, is name-dropped by Tina Goldstein and is also a character in Arthur Miller's The Crucible? So it's actually a historical figure, like real-world historical as well. The answer is Mercy Lewis. And this is something that uh, Tina shouts out, Mercy Lewis, what is that? When she first sees the Mertlap in the first Fantastic Beasts film. So J.K. Rowling did a lot of research, actually including a person, a, a accuser, accused of the Salem witch trials in her first script. And the reason I picked this question was to illustrate just how well thought out and well planned the first film was. People got the right answer, submitted it to us over on Twitter. We got Amanda Miller, who says, I grew up by Salem and the witch trials were heavily discussed in my school lessons. We got Miguel Ian, Count Tortellina, a.k.a. Sims, hashtag Getting wait, I can't even read all of this. <laughs> what? Oh God. Okay. <laughs> Laura, there's been a joke where people get in comments on the show via their Twitter name. <laughs> Count Tortellini, <laughs> aka at Sims hashtag getting out of hand. Okay. That's what the Yes, that is getting <laughs> out of hand. <laughs> it is hashtag getting out of hand. Other winners, Sophie and Christmas Spirit, Deborah Deborah Moltisanti, Sarah Davis, and Charlie, Danielle, and Roxanne. Congratulations, everybody. And this week's question? <laughs> this week's question. Oh, I just I just had it. I wrote it down. Damn. The final question of 2018. Better be good. Oh, man. Okay. It's a, it's a difficult one. Uh, who is uh, a famous graduate of Castella Bruchu, who's captain of the Quidditch team, the Terrapoto Tree Skimmers? Hmm. 
That's one hell of a question. I guess <laughs> the final <laughs> question will get answered in 2018, I should say. All right. Well, Laura, it's so nice to have you back on. It's been great to be here. I'm very, very excited for 2019. Yeah. Well, um, we'll miss you next week, but since it is your birthday, we'll excuse that. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, you know, it, it is crazy to think that we are back doing weekly shows. I still step back sometimes. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe we're weekly again. And bringing Laura back, having the show back weekly, it's all thanks to patrons. Mm-hmm. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast is where you can sign up and pledge and get access to lots of benefits. Right after recording today's episode, we're recording a bonus MuggleCast in which we are revisiting our Fantastic Beast 2 predictions that we made a few weeks before the movie or actually like just a week before the movie came out. We never revisited those post-movie, so we are going to do that today. There are tons of other benefits over at patreon.com slash mugglecast, like the ability to get ad-free installments of the show. You will be able to join our exclusive Facebook group. You will be able to listen to the show live as we record it, so you'll get the show a little early each week. And um, there are a bunch more benefits, including... The, uh, the chance to co-host MuggleCast and a monthly Google Hangout on video. You can hang out with us. Lots of stuff. And this helps us keep the show running, create new things like new album art, and get Laura back. Laura was expensive, but she is worth it. Yeah, not a cheap date. <laughs> <laughs> or are we dating you? Is that what's happening, Laura? That's correct. This is okay. a courtship. <laughs> <laughs> like a trial courtship? Does it... I mean, I'm contracted through 2019, so oh, okay, awesome. I don't know what you guys are thinking. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody, again, for listening, and thank you for your support. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. Uh, Micah. And I'm Laura. See everybody next time. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Happy birthday, Laura. Bye. Oh, thank you. <laughs>